Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to Progressive could save big. But then what? Well, there is a nice piece of stock music playing behind me that a talented composer worked really hard on. So let's enjoy it. Wow, almost overshadows the saving big when you switch to Progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Your favorite band's about to play a sold-out show. You got in. Over here. With a friend. And found a spot close enough to see the set list. They're definitely playing your song. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. song was sung by Stan Ward and his daughters. If the song sounds familiar, then it is. It's their version of U2's amazing song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And now get ready for my dad's podcast, Dr. D's Social Network. If you're looking for an amazing conversation related about getting to know yourself and taking a deeper dive into the human spirit. This is your podcast episode. Today's guest is Stan Ward. Stan's an awesome guy. He really, truly values conversation with others and creating connection. I think you'll find that this conversation will be one that'll really hit home. And it's moving, it's touching, it's funny, and there's a lot of information. Ladies and gentlemen, Stan Ward. All right, so 
You know, what was interesting about those episodes you were saying is um, I felt like I learned a lot from both of them. Like Nicole, she's just so like herself in all situations. Like she just comes off and she's like, I'm like, how you doing today, Nicole? She's like, not good. Mm. <laughs> just like, sometimes yeah. people don't do that. You know, they don't say that. They just function on, oh, yeah, I'm good, even though they're not, you know? And there was no weakness in her presence. She was able to say, I'm not good, man. And like, it wasn't, it wasn't wimpy, it wasn't whiny. She was a fully present human being and like in, inviting you into her space and secure enough to do that. that. That's a rare gift. I would agree with that. You know, the first time I talked to her, she was just like herself. She's like, woo, she has all this joy, but it's not natural to her. Like I had assumed that she was just this very naturally joyful person. She's like, oh, no, no, I'm a very negative. Like I, I've had to learn how to become joyful. It's just not native to me. And I found that astounding, you know? Yeah, so I I suspect that some of the people who, for lack of a better term, resonate the most do so because of the work they've done to get there. Mm. Yeah, I think so. And like the guy you were um, like, am I strong enough, George Stoymanov? Yeah. Like his episode was so special because it was like he had never told his story ever in public to somebody. And, you know, what does it mean to be a man and manliness and all that? And I was like, guys need to hear this, man. <laughs> you know, like they need to hear this anthem, this this sense of like, what does it mean to be a man in the world? And am I strong enough? What does strong mean? You know, like it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's a weird space. I mean, I, I'm in my head a lot and I think about things a lot. And so, you know, is strength simply what I define it to be? Or is there some external objective reality to which I can align myself? Right. Like that's, mm. that's a huge question. And I think it's a real important one to get right. I think so. I think so. And I mean, you could search your whole life and and not really come to these ideas or understandings. And I think that's just what I enjoy about, uh, you were saying off air before we start recording, like you like kind of my ethos and digging the vibe. I, I just think I just want to learn about other people and where they're at in their journey, whatever that is. And I think when we talked on our off air kind of pre-recorded thing, I really, I was cracking up, man. Talking to you was like, you're like, oh, I'm used to planning, man. You know, like, oh, yeah. like, oh, no, none of that going on, Stan. Yeah. When I heard that, what does it mean to be a man? I'm about ready to call you back and go, okay, bro, it's off. <laughs> <laughs> you said that kind of wrecked you. In what way? Like, tell me oh, about that. Oh, man. Well, yeah. I mean, that's part of my journey, too. Um, you know, my, my parents divorced when I was six or they broke up when I was six. Mm -hmm. And so I live with my mom and my dad, to his credit, did not abandon me. Like he stayed involved. And I, and I really want to, want to highlight that. So, um, I did live with my mom and, you know, just watched her suffer so much. Um, she was a strong woman, but 
especially in her later years, it's like she just imploded. And so these ideas of strength and especially as we understand like how brain chemistry works and things like that now, right? Like this, yeah. this whole thing has taken on all these layers to it and it continues to become more and more complex and then dealing with my own insecurities. So uh, as an only child and when we had our daughters, um, I was just like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I have none. And I, I don't, you know, if they're crying, does that mean I'm a bad dad? Um, you know, I, I don't know the magic words to say. I'm, I'm not sure how to respond. Um, you know, I, I joke about uh, sing, single parents. They're neither mom nor dad. You're, they're just mad. So, you know, trying to get some, because I like objective standards, right? That's why I'm like, man, give me a script for this thing or not a script, yeah. but give me some sort of outline. What are we supposed to cover? So I can kind of get my thoughts together in advance. Right. And so to be in a space where there's not a script or at least uh, there, <laughs> not one that's explicit, right? I mean, there's the mm-hmm. script we grew up with and, and if we're not self-aware, we just repeat those patterns. And so when you intentionally say, okay, I'm going to move into this different space and there's no map. Oh my gosh. What is this? Terra incognite. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's interesting about what you said is kind of, I had a lady on, you might enjoy this one. I released this episode on Monday with uh, Janelle Hardy and her whole thing is personal myth-making and um, personal memoirs. It was real deep, man. I mean, if you're, I think someone like yourself, like you're, you're probably like me in this, like, it was like really deep, man, about like what are the personal myths that you tell yourself in your life and how are are these personal myths, have they led you down a road that you really don't want to be on? Have you confronted what your personal myths are? And then what was amazing is she, she, she works with people to essentially look at that personal myth in relation to a fairy tale that you grew up with. And to look in the deeper meaning of a fairy tale and like, is your life a fable? Are you looking at things and like, well, this is how people think I should be. So that's my, that's, that's my personal myth. I'm not allowing myself to be me, to be my personal truth. I'm just living a personal myth, this mythology about ourselves. I mean, it was, and it makes me think of that for people learning, like, are you presenting who you actually want to be, or is it just a personal myth that you're projecting for others to see? Yeah. And for those that are, that are listening to the conversation, I, I think it's important to talk about that term myth, right? There's, you know, muthos in the, mm-hmm. the Greek. So in uh, contemporary practice, myth generally is concerned or is considered something like a fib, something that's false. Whereas muthos is like this big story that explains reality. And so, yeah, what's your explaining story that helps you navigate reality? Okay, that's big. Mm. So it's not about you know living a personal myth, as in living a personal lie, although that may right. be what you're doing with sure. your with reality. But really, uh, what? And I, you know, we talked about this too. I used to teach humanities in a high school classroom setting. That was a lot of fun. And, that whole idea of the comic journey versus the tragic one that when you look at literature, uh, the difference between a comedy and a tragedy is not so much that one is funny and the other sad. It's that 
comedies end in community and tragedy ends in isolation. And so when I find myself wanting to <laughs> withdraw, uh, I have to remind myself, oh no, dude, I'm wanting to live a comic story. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to end this thing in isolation. Yeah. What do you, what do you think's been the, uh, here comes the question, Stan, just so you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the question, here huh? comes the questions, man. Just when I start firing off like a machine gun. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get loosened up here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me just a couple of deep breaths. Gotta in, oh, a couple in, deep in breaths. For three, so, out for four. Okay. That's right. That's right. So tell me a little bit about what do you think has been the hardest part of your journey growing as a man? Hmm. Mm. So the hardest part of my journey is that I'm just, I'm still struggling with that. I, I am enough thing. I see. I like accomplishments. And when I'm in a space where I'm just getting stuff done and I can show, uh, show success. And I'm not talking about driving a Bentley, but, mm -hmm. uh, just the things that go with status, right? Um, to be Dr. Stan Ward, right? Like there's that <laughs> something about that that's just cool. Um, to have a fancy title or to have safety and security needs met because of my income or my 401k or, or whatever. And so and, and in the in recent months, a lot of that has has kind of evaporated for me. I'm now and working on my own as a as a coach. And so and, you know, timed it uh, in such a way that I was smart enough to go become an independent contractor uh, about a month before pandemic hit. So that was good timing. Yeah. Um, and to sit in that and to be solid for my wife and to be solid for my daughters, that's work. And I think that's been a lot of my my journey is going through seasons of being more solid in that space for one reason or another. And then the seasons of, of self doubt. So my headspace is fascinating, dude. It's a crazy place to hang out. Um, and there's a lot of benefits to that. And then there are seasons where it's, you know, it's got its real drawbacks. Yeah. Um, I think, man, I, I can identify with that. I think for a lot of people, maybe they're not as vocal about the struggles with that. But I wonder, what was your identity when you were, let's say you were going through college, you know, to the guy you are now? Like, what, what was that identity then? And what do you consider it to be now of how you identify yourself? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I've always been one who saw himself on that comic path or choosing the comic path. I just didn't have the language to express it when I was in college. Yes. Right. So yeah, real involved in, in student leadership activities. And I was in a men's glee club and man, that was a blast. It was like a singing fraternity. It was That's so much fantastic. Fun. No, it was, <laughs> it was. In fact, the other night we had a, a Facebook live event where um, we used to write our own musicals and they were farce farces. So mm -hmm. uh, one of them was Scooby-Doo zany kooky out to lunch adventures through space and time. And, you know, essentially the headless horseman and Callie, who are the three uh, like classic Scooby-Doo bad guys, headless horseman and two other bad guys, you know, had stolen something and gone back through time. And so 
uh, Scooby and the gang stumble across Doc Brown, knock him out, steal his <laughs> his uh, device, hook it up to the mystery machine, and <laughs> go hunting these guys awesome. down in space and time. Yeah, all while singing things like Carmina Burana and you know, Fortuna and. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I yeah. would love to hear that actually. <laughs> yeah, like our our director would just pick out this like classic music and it would be a range of stuff. It might be a spiritual, it might be a um you know, modern piece of music that's atonal and mm-hmm. and he just gives us these songs. He's like, "Okay, now you got to write a story with this." And we 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 do it. And so then the my senior year we did a farce. It was the Beverly Hillbillies went on the love boat. So the name of it was great. The, the name of it was Granny Get Some Sun. Love it. Yeah. Instead of Annie Get Your Gun, Granny Get Some Sun. <laughs> oh, man. That language, like you said, I think I identify with that too. Like, it's like, what's the language you're trying to speak when you're young? You know, maybe it's in there. You just don't have the way to communicate it in the proper language, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, always trying to express some level of competence for me has been an issue. Um, I'm not, and I'm not athletic, right? So, um, I, I ran track because that was like just stay between these two lines and go one direction. Right. Didn't you know? Like, okay, I can do that. Um, and you know, in average ability, even there. So, uh, that classic story of the kid who last to get picked for the kickball team still trying to prove himself sometimes right so to go so there have been seasons i remember in high school discovering suddenly that people looked at me as a leader and it's like oh wow what is this this is this is the best stuff ever this is like you know massive endorphin hit um and so trying to build and operate and stay in that space i think spent a lot of where i've been at and then when i start doubting that, or I feel like I'm not in that space, that's where the head games begin in trying to navigate that. What's the doubt? Like, where does that come from? That's such a good question. So I, I describe my personality and the personality some of the people I even work with, it's like we're, we're pole vaulters. And right as you get to the bar and you're about to go over it, you look at it and you go, you know, if I can get over this, it must not be hard enough. So I'm going to reach out. I'm just going to hold on to the bar, the pole with one hand and grab the bar with the other hand. I'm going to raise it up a little higher. So then I really can show I've accomplished something. And and you can imagine how that ends. Yeah. It wasn't enough just to get over the bar. Yeah. Some, somehow, well, if I got over it, it must not have been that hard. Hmm. What was it about that? Like going above and beyond, but going in a way that maybe... It's counterintuitive to just accomplishing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about the whole conversation of like maximizers and satisficers. You familiar with that language? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's a maximizer in me. Well, I know there is. And so part of my journey again is learning to recognize good enough. Does good enough feel like does it feel like it's like, uh, it's just like you said, like this, this good enough is not good enough. It's like, this is kind of weak. Like it's too easy or it's not hard enough type of thing. Yeah. D- depending on the lenses that I'm using that day. Yeah. Right. So when I'm in my right, when I'm in my correct thinking, you know, I look at my PhD and go, that was cool. That took a lot of effort. 
And then in my wrong thinking days, I'm like, was it really that hard? Did I really have to do that much? Did are they going to take it away? You know? <laughs> are they going to take it away? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, they're going to find out what they're going to they're going to hear me on this podcast. And like he says, um, too much. I think we need to like take those initials away. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the PhD is a funny thing. I, I mean, you know, I have mine too, and it's a. Uh, it's kind of a weird process. I don't know what's for me, you know, but like kind of the, it makes me think of status. And like, I, I knew some people who were doing it purely, I felt like purely for the status of call me doctor. And I want everywhere I go to be acknowledged that this is who I am. Call me doctor. And I wonder about that status, you know, and, and then being and threatening that status in a sense of like, like you said, if I say this and that, well, they take it away. Like, am I actually worthy of this type of thing? You know? Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm on my daughter's computer and I don't know how to turn off the notifications. So we may get some dings every now and then. That's um, okay. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of status and competence, I'm like, I can't <laughs> log in. Um, yeah. So, okay. So here's my take on the PhD experience. It it really trains trains you to be a horse's backside because <laughs> essentially what you're you're trained to do is come into a room, listen to a presentation, and then tell the person who presented why they're wrong. Mm. Right. Yeah, I have felt the same exact way. Why is that? Why is that the process? Well, I think part of the research journey is learning how to test knowledge, right? So how do we validate what's actually knowledge and what's not? Like, I think that's part of the job of the researcher. Because, I mean, you can get all, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of games we can play with statistics. And, I mean, yeah. okay, so math is not my natural language. Again, I'm more on the humanities side. So to get through my graduate statistics class, what I did is I bought, I bought a copy of, uh, statistics for dummies. This is, by the way, this is where I lose the degree. This is when they hear this and they come back. <laughs> so I mean, we had the statistics textbook and I just, I couldn't make sense out of it. So in, and it was a situation where the, um, you know, the person that was trying to teach us how to use SPSS was, Oh my God. was from overseas. And so her, English communication skills were limited and my, you know, SPS skills are limited. And so I bought statistics for dummies, uh, a cartoon guide to statistics and how to lie with statistics. I bought those three books mm -hmm. and between the indices of those books and the sample problems in the textbook, I would work backwards. So I would like, you know, look at the cartoon guide to statistics for that type of problem. And then I'd read about it in dummies. And then I'd see if there's anything about how to use it to lie. <laughs> and then I go, Oh, <laughs> I see how this works now. Okay. I can go back to my assigned work and work on this. Right. Cause my brain just wasn't wired that way, but I say all that to say, so yeah, part of our job is to just be a BS detector. Yeah. Which is a really important task in society today. And I think it's just getting harder and harder because now just the ability to agree on facts like is being shattered, right? Like what do you, what do you do? If, if we can no longer agree that two plus two is four, where do you go from there? Man, you're speaking my language. I, 
I had a guy on Peter Nowak. Actually, you would like this episode too. He's he runs a news organization. Yeah, I heard um, a little bit about this. Yeah, is it the donut, amazing. donut, the donut. By yeah, the way, I, okay. So, hey, shout out to Peter. I, I signed up and I get it every day now, and I yes. enjoy it and I appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Peter. He's amazing. He's a young, young guy, uh, really intelligent, um, kind of an old soul. But we were talking about on air about facts, disagreement about facts. So he sent me this after we were done. He texted me this article that was, you know, basically essentially saying that 73% of people disagree on basic facts. Because I was like, ah, that seems like way too high. He was like, I'm telling you, man. You got to read this article. <laughs> I was blown away by it. I was like, this is nuts. <laughs> well, and 74.5% of statistics are made up on the spot. That's crazy. That's I'll, crazy. I'll let that sink in. I don't. I, I just made that up. <laughs> like that's, that's the, that's the joke. That's the joke. Yeah. That's the joke that statistics are made up on the spot but, so but how anyway. do you like like you just said about how where do you go from a place where we're disagreeing on very basic standard facts of a two plus two is four when somebody goes no that's that's seven like what yeah and this is where my headspace gets in the way sometimes because i'm like well in what world, in what base numeral system could we have a world where two plus two equals seven, right? Like you, you can start playing mm. these really weird games. Um, and so I think that's why for people who are in their heads a lot, because I think that's part of where you can get some of this. It's all about just, I mean, I got to reconnect to physical reality, feel my feet on the ground. I got to, and, and human to human contact. Like, again, I think some of the nastiness of the internet is just because we're not, we're not human beings in front of other human beings. Hmm. There's, there's no, just that, um, yeah, there's, I mean, when you're in the presence of other people that you can trust. Something happens, right? Yeah. And then you can have conversations and and try to work out, okay, where can we where where can we really agree on this thing? What is it that we both really want to accomplish together? Uh, but as far as the two plus two equals seven, yeah, with the right set of lenses, it does. And so <laughs> what, are, what are those filters that we're using? And are those filters trustworthy? Yeah. I, I've, I've had this conversation a couple of times. I think that lens is getting blurred more and more as technology advances. Like I think I was talking to Peter and a few other people about deep fakes and what happens when your visual reality becomes indistinguishable from a simulation or the reality that you know. I mean, it's, and it's, I mean, you're starting to get into like quantum computing and all these things that I'm very interested in, but what happens when you don't trust your own senses? Because what you're looking at may not be true or real, but it's a simulation, but you think it's real. I mean, it gets in a weird space, honestly. You know? Yeah. It's like that, that philosophy class where the professor 
you know, slams his hand on the desk and makes some noise and goes, okay, what caused the noise? Mm-hmm. Well, you slammed your hand on the desk. Well, how do you know it was that? And then I didn't have some button under the desk that I'm pushing with my other hand. It's just like, oh man, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I think it kind of goes, like you said, when people sit in front of each other or they, you have that connection with people, it's uh it's a different ball game than I think when somebody is saying something to somebody online, um, there's often a sense of I can be uh, a more, I can be a larger version of myself. So I can take more risk in telling things or getting into certain conversations. Then I feel like there's more risk in person in a, sen- in a sense, the other way of like, if you were to be completely overzealous or outrageous in the face of another person, that the stakes can be much higher because there's 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 verbal stakes, there's physical altercation stakes potentially yeah. with people. And you don't feel that when you're online with somebody so much. So you feel like you can be a larger version, maybe a tougher, more outspoken person than you normally would be. So it creates a weird sense, I think. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of one-upmanship, right? Yeah. So you're trying to get that, again, that whatever feel good chemical uh, mm-hmm. of, of asserting your status. And so you can do that with a quick zinger. Whereas yeah. it's more complicated when you're in a face-to-face situation and people still use the zingers in face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. It's, it's just an interesting time. I think that we're in and, you know, when you look at things like leadership and behavior and all these things, I think it's weird observing it in our current climate, you know, based off of pandemic, based off of media, all these things. It's like, how are you curating your life in a way that are you exposing yourself to a lot of things that you don't feel good about? Or are you exposing yourself to things that feel positive in your life or not? And I think sometimes we're on autopilot and we don't really think about that. We just expose ourselves to different sources of information without thinking about the actual consequences of it to our reality. Yes. Information shapes experience, right? I mean, that's what Mm -hmm. experience is, is our five senses receiving information in various forms. And so that's why it's so important that we pay attention to our attention. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd um, like to pay attention to our attention. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember early in the pandemic thing, I, my wife got onto me because I was re- just spending all this time on the New York Times app. Yeah. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just looking for some good news. I'm just hoping. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is about the time you did the Peter Nowak deal. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can go there. There, yeah. And, and find something. Because I'm not really into cat videos. Like, that's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. Yeah, some people really dig that, and that, and and I've even seen studies about oh, you you can watch some of those at work, and there's has, it has this impact on your performance because you had this again feel good chemical wow. rush, and it takes a break. Yeah, that's but that's not me. Me neither. I find it foolish. Honestly, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I my humor is such that if I see the punchline coming, I I just don't laugh. I'm like, that's eh, not. Yeah, like that. I, I saw that. <laughs> it's only it's, coming a mile away. Yeah, that's obvious. But dude, when it's like 
you know, it's like the 74.5% of statistics made up on this, or actually 70, I think it's actually 73.26% of statistics made up on the spot. Um, you know, that one for me is one of my favorites because I'm just like, oh, it's got this whole other layer to it. Ha. Huh. So it's kind of like there's a circle to humor, right? And, and, and of course, be, because we're on podcasts, everybody can see what I'm doing with my hands. But anyway, so there's this circle. I'm making a circle. And, you know, at the top of the circle is like, that's a good joke and that's funny. Mm-hmm. And then you can, as you go around the circle, you go, I'm, I'm going clockwise, right? You get down to the bottom of the circle. And it's like, oh, it's just a dumb groaner joke. But if yeah. you keep pushing, right, you come back to the top. And the joke that's so bad, it's good. Like, oh, I just want to <laughs> swim in that. That's awesome space. <laughs> that's funny. Actually, I was, I had a lady on who we, she's a comedian. And I was like, how do you know you're funny? Like, have you always known you're funny and stuff? And it was, it was just an interesting conversation about like humor and you know, do you, do you identify when somebody's funny? You know, it feels subjective, you know, but, and I was like, have you always known you're funny? She goes, yes. And I was like, really? You like, you thought you were funny. She's like, oh yeah. She's like, I definitely thought I was funny. And, uh, you know, it was just like, she believed it early on and just kind of manifested herself for that. And it's funny how we have different uh, feelings about how we think we're funny or we think we're smart or we somebody thinks they're really intelligent or somebody believes they're really negative whatever it may be you know you're growing that whatever it is you're gonna you're watering it yeah you know? your your myth yeah right what are you watering on a regular basis and i think sometimes we don't think about what we're watering you know and what are you watering it with Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Now, now we're now we're cooking with metaphor. Nah, they're cooking with some grease here. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you watering with? The assumption is it's water, right? But it's it could be, you know, a flamethrower or something. I don't know. Sure. I I mean, yeah, right. That again, that's why the BS detector is is important. Yeah. Um what information are you taking in? What's the content? What does it do to you? I I remember a season where I was uh, traveling with someone and I just, I don't really watch that much news. I, I like NPR. I like to listen and I like uh, to read. I just don't watch TV news. And so this was staying in a hotel room with this person and they turned on the TV news. And I was just like, Oh, this just makes me feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, I could tell like it was totally trying to hijack my uh, sense of stress and tell me you are not safe. Right. I'm like, dude, I'm Hey, I'm already sensitive to anxiety. Like I don't, I don't need that. Yes. Oh my gosh. We we're very similar people. I feel with this, like I actually stopped watching the news a long time ago on TV because it was just giving me weird feelings on a regular, but actually it was just making me angry on a regular basis. And I'm like, I'm not an angry person. Why am know, I like this? You know? Yeah. That's a better description of what I was sensing. Yeah. It was like, I was becoming angry and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. It really, it really doesn't. I mean, uh, I promise Peter didn't pay me to say this. I'm just telling him about it, but you know, like his thing when we were talking was like, he just 
provides information and then you make the decision on how you want to feel about it. And I like on there, what will say like this link, it'll say it's left. This oh, yeah, link he color codes right. It. He color codes it. Yeah. And then it's like, this one's left center or right center. Mm-hmm. And you could choose whether you want to click on that or not versus, yeah, I mean, you could choose to turn off the TV, but like if you turn to a channel, it's like you're immediately getting flooded with things that make you angry or anxious or concerned or like just, you just, this, this visceral feeling. And I, I just want the information. I don't want all this like stuff that goes along with it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, or this slant or that slant. Just give me the information. So it's funny. So I was telling my wife, I said, we got to sign up for the donut, man. I was like, that way you don't have to be inundated with crazy stuff. You just get the information and then roll out and do whatever you want to do with it. And I think it just, there's, it, does, it didn't help me to feel anxious and angry on a regular basis, you know? And yeah, because what, what can it you do about it? It, it, it? Yeah, what it, can you do about it? Yeah, uh, just sit sit in that stuff. Ugh. Yeah, it's really weird. It's uh, So I think those, like you said, that information is shaping, you know, your experience and your behavior. And uh, it's like, how do you want to curate your presence in life? You know, and for me, I want to be... My podcast is like, I want to be around positive, more positive people, thought provoking people. I don't have to endorse the things people say on here. That's not the point. It's just, I want to have a, an interesting time with somebody that makes me think, you know? Yeah. I, two thoughts for that. So A is, yeah, it's, I think it's a great example of if you're the smartest guy in the room, you need another room. Um, and then B, in a conversation where we all just totally agree, it can get it can get dishonest. I think really fast because hmm. you don't have to do the work to get clear what you're saying, why you're saying it. You don't have to take the other person's thoughts into a, into account. Um, you know, that, that's one of my concerns is that as some of our communication communities uh, continue to sort of turn inward, um, that the, the conversation will become less robust and less honest. Hmm. I can see that. I mean... <sighs> It's funny, it's like having these conversations, it's, you know, there are a lot of things I agree with, with people they tell me, and then there's a lot of things I don't, but I don't like, I'm not into challenging people on here about it. You know, if I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that, I'd be like, well, why did you, that was dumb. You know, I wouldn't say anything like that. I'm just, I'm more just ask more questions. Be like, well, tell me why that's your point of view. I'm interested in learning more about it. I mean, I, to learn more about it doesn't mean that I'm trying to endorse it. It just means I'm just trying to learn more about it, you know, type of thing. You know, like I have a lady coming on who really badly wants to talk about the uh, Catholicism and scandals and the Catholic church and female priesthood. And she's like, is that okay? You know, I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, it doesn't mean I have to endorse it. It's just that it's interesting. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to shy no. away from it, though. I'm definitely not going to shy away from it. Yeah. yeah, make space for it. 
and see how it stands up to uh, to some some investigation, some consideration. Yeah. So it's it just depends, you know. For me, it's just I want to listen to a lot of different ideas, and I want to be open minded about things. And so I was, as I was thinking about you coming on, and I, you know, I. I don't plan anything, but which I know you don't like <laughs> completely for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stan yeah. did not like that. Ladies and gentlemen, you listen to this. Stan was not, he wasn't that happy when I told him, there's no questions. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Because like, that means I got to get used to this. Has no time to get in his head and then come back out. It's just got to be whatever <laughs> comes out is what comes out. And then we record it. On the internet for all of yeah, a lot of people to hear the machine, the stand machine is gonna, you know, something's gonna come out, and we're gonna we're gonna hear what it is. Um, But what what is it? I think you know, in your life, as you've as you've grown and where you're currently at in your life, what are the things you want to continue to work on as you move forward in your life as as a human being and grow? Hmm. The skill of joy. Oh, I think that's why I I, um, I enjoyed listening to N- N- Nicole and uh-huh. help, help me the trick Stein Nicole yeah, trick Stein right yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I enjoyed her story. Um, because she has developed a muscle for joy, mm. and and I want to develop that muscle, not just for my sake but for the sake of the people around me. Do you think that there's been like, that has affected you in a lot of ways in your life as you've tried to do, work on that? Like, like you haven't liked that you haven't developed it as much as you'd like. Yeah. I would say I'm not, uh, my nature, I'm a little more on the melancholy side, personality wise. Mm. Right. Um, and I think some of that goes with being a highly analytical person. Uh, just my experience of people who are highly analytical is it often expresses itself uh, w- with a little melancholy. Like highly analytical, like meaning, well, explain that more. Is it like fact-driven things or like analysis of everything you come in contact? Yeah, pe- what does that mean? People who just analyze everything they they feel like they are coming in contact with. Yeah. Just mm. constantly churning data information, trying to understand it. I, I think, again, now I'm just what I'm thinking. That's dangerous space. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do for me, I think developing that muscle of joy. Um, you know, I look at like, so, okay. So just, just for the record, I was into Lord of the Rings before it was cool. All right. I just, too, I, just laid, I just want to make this clear. I was in the third grade reading The Hobbit and like, this is awesome. And I remember, in fact, when I was in first grade was when the animated, did you see the animated Hobbit? It's like a 30 minute TV. Oh, that was it. I used to have that poster over my bed of Bilbo Baggins. Wow, you're committed. Oh, yeah, I'm in. Um, and so later in life, I started reading Tolkien's biography. And is it Tolkien or Tolkien? I, I don't, I'm not that in, but I don't know. Yeah, it's vowels. So his 
upbringing. His childhood was rough. And yet hope plays such a major part of that story, right? Samwise. I mean, if it's not for Samwise, mm-hmm. this, this, this whole ring thing would have gone really badly, right? You know, Sam's the one who's able to say, okay, this is like those stories of old Mr. Frodo, right? Ones where you don't know how it's going to turn out. And, and, and even the, um, man, I almost get emotional just thinking about it, right? Like the, that's great, man. His, uh, you know, Mr. Frodo, I can't take the ring, but I can carry you. Like what a line. I mean, oh my what gosh. A line. And, and that character is based on the men that Tolkien served with in World War One, who weren't necessarily really educated. But, but they were willing to lay down on, you know, the barbed wire for the sake of their comrades. And he saw that. He's like, man, that's, that's goodness. Hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Samwise has a good joy muscle. I never thought about it as a muscle like that. That's amazing. Yeah. You got to, I think for me, I have to work out at joy. I have to do like joy exercises. I have to like be aware what's going on inside my body. Am I constricting and feeling, um, you know, uptight, anxious, angry, whatever, or am I relaxing and allowing myself to just experience the joy of the moment? And it, I have to make an intentional choice. It doesn't come natural to you, what you're saying, basically. It's it's a work. It's a lot of work for you. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah. Do you feel like you're resistant to it sometimes, or are you always welcoming, working on that? Hmm. Yeah, I think the first thing was learning to trust it. Um. I, th- I remember a time when I was like about 12 years old that I just decided, you know, I'm just going to turn off my feelings because life hurts too much. There's too much disappointment here. Mm. And so the process of learning to turn all that stuff back on has been a big part of my journey. And, and, and f- I mean, I can fake a lot of it pretty well. Um, I think that was one of the skills I learned as an adolescent but learning to really genuinely just process whatever, joy, sadness, whatever it is. Um, that's a huge, that's been a huge skill for me to develop. Cause it's just safer in my head. Hmm. Why is it safer? Uh, I think there's a measure of control there. Ah, right. Control. Yeah. It's weird to think about like joy. You're like, oh, joy, I'm happy. I have joy. And to think, actually, Nicole was the first person I ran into that I felt like was honest about it in the sense of like, uh, yeah, that's not me. You, what you're getting, what you're seeing, the joy you're seeing in me is a tremendous amount of heavy lifting, tremendous amount. And that her nat she and she says it on there, her natural 
point of view is depression. Mm. That's her natural state is depression. Mm. Yeah. And I remember being blown away by that. She's like, that's who I am. That my natural state is to be depressed. That's who I am. And I was like, wow. And she said, I made the decision. I needed to create joy. I needed to, like you said, th- that muscle. She's she's training all the time to create joy, even though her natural bodybuilding technique is depression. Yeah. It's it's unbelievable. And to admit that. You know what I mean? Like to admit it. That's what that's what blew me by. I was like, she admitted that. Like, no, a lot of people are not gonna admit that to you, that that's their natural state. They're gonna tell you something you want to hear. Yeah. And so the uh yeah, somehow you have a gift of creating a space where people don't feel like they have to just sell themselves or say what people want to hear. Right. Thank you. I think, you know, it's just questions. Like when I used to run a fitness club and a community, a luxury community, and I have all this staff and stuff, and I made it my goal to spend most of my time um, having my staff feel comfortable being honest with me and sharing their feelings. That was before anything. That was bigger than personal training sales, tennis sales, all that stuff, meeting budgeting and all that. I just, I wanted to develop um, honest people and about their feelings. And so we would regularly have personal development. I never once did any um, staff trainings on the technical aspects of you know, fitness and wellness and any of that stuff. And I told him, I said, you can go get that somewhere else. You know, you can go to a conference, you can learn about tactical training, you can learn about, you know, exercise science. I'm like, the legacy of this job will be, you're going to learn about yourself. We're going to get you to learn about how you function as a human in the world. And I feel that if we can do that, you'll be better at your job because you'll be a very open and mindful and meaningful communicator of the human experience to other people. And it was rough because you know we're having these personal development staff meetings on philosophy and flow and uh, past uh, trauma, regression, and all these things. And people, they struggled through it. But I said, that's part of it. You've got to learn to face yourself. And you need to make sense of who you are in the world. And uh, I always thought that was important. And so I try to do that on my podcast too in the limited time. It's like, how do we make sense of each other? How do I make sense of Stan? How does he make sense of me? How do we develop a relationship through a podcast? You know.
Yeah, what an and what an odd space to build a relationship. You know, <laughs> it is. It really is. It's weird. It's um, you know, like reality TV or something. Yeah. Um, there, there's a there's a peering in people can do right as we're having this conversation, mm-hmm. and yet I'll tell you I've. And I've met some really cool people through these podcast interviews. I mean, I've just had a blast. The the people I've been able to connect with, I just try to, you know, go to spot a guest and kind of look around and go, oh, that person would be interesting to talk to. I think they'd be interested in the stuff I'm thinking about. And and then so far, everyone I've connected with has just been really neat. And it's been a really fun experience. I, I think it's one of the blessings of the COVID season. Because it's course, it's all that stuff's kind of corresponded. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I I can see you being really good on a lot of things. Cause you, you're, you think about what you're gonna say. Like you, I mean, you wouldn't know that you didn't like things being scripted. Let's just put it that way. I wouldn't know that based off of this conversation. You know, and you, you know. that's that joy muscle, learning to trust the moment, right? So I I struggle with that, and so that's why it's safer for me if we have a script. Because then I can think about it and then I won't be worried about, oh, man, am I going to screw it up? Is it important for you to come off as like an authority figure in what you know? Uh, it, it's important. You know, what's interesting is it's not so much that I want to come off as an authority figure. I just want to get it right. Mm. Like, I don't want to mislead somebody. Like, I don't want to say it's 62.4% of statistics that are made up on the spot when it's really... 18.5. Like that's yeah. terrible. And so I think I, 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 oh man. Yeah. So on the, um, you know, on the personality spectrum, I'm, I'm really high on conscientiousness. Mm, so yes. I'm very aware of the other. And so I have this, uh, and this is part of my own, um, you know, I reached out to you cause I've been doing some work on burnout. I mean, this is part of my own journey and learning to manage myself so that I don't just burn myself out. And, and the journey of folks I like to work with is there's just this sense of responsibility to the other person. And so how do you manage that? Yeah. Like responsibility to somebody else, like, like family members, coworkers, what do you mean? Sure. Uh, uh, yeah. All just the above uh, kind of thing. Yeah. All the above, you know, do no harm. Um, which is impossible, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, we are, we're, we're blunt instruments in some ways as human beings, right? Be- because there's not a script to follow. Um, as you were talking about working with your, your uh, employees, and I, I'd love to circle back to some of that too. Um, if we can, mm-hmm. one of the things that was reminding me of is this leadership model that I love, uh, by a guy named Katz, K-A-T-Z, and it's like from the 1950s, but he says there's basically, if you will, three buckets that you can sort all of leadership into. There's the technical bucket, just getting stuff done. There's the relational bucket, he calls it the human skills, and then the conceptual skills, the conceptual bucket. And so I, what I hear is that like, you're like, okay, you can go get this technical stuff somewhere else. I want to make you work in the relational and conceptual space. And that's how you'll really grow. Yeah. That was definitely my approach. Yeah. And my question to you is, were people really resistant? Yes. And all honesty, I mean, there were, I think what happened was initially 
a lot of people showed up for it and it was very new to them. And then once the work of self-introspection started and working on the past and your hangups and things that were difficult, it started thinning out quite a bit because I think it was too hard for some people. I think they just, they did not want to confront the difficult parts of their life. And uh, I never, you know, I never push people like, hey, you know, you have to come to this or you, you know, I just said, listen, maybe at one point you'll, you'll be in that space. And I think some people thought, I'm not coming to work for this. I don't come to work for this. You know, um, that's for a different space in my life. I just want to come and work and punch the clock and, and go home. But I wanted to make sure that it was at least offered and that the team knew that I was invested in their personal story and their emotional and social well-being. Because I felt like a lot of jobs don't do that. They're just like, hey, how can you produce on the bottom line for me? And uh, I think, and I just, I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to develop better human beings. Um, and that's still my, my goal. I just transform it into different outlets of doing it, you know? Yeah, creating spaces that allow for human flourishing. So whether it's in your business, in a podcast conversation, I, mean, I, I don't know what other activities you have, but it, it feels like maybe <laughs> that's the theme here, right? Is, yeah. You know, there's a, okay. So are you, have you read uh, Candide? You familiar with that one? I am. I think it's Candide. Right, it's Professor Pangloss is the character, mm-hmm. and and it seems like the. And by the way, this is like college. The last time I looked at this, so this this is a classic. Stan going, oh man, I hope we don't screw this up. Um, <laughs> you know, I think he's the one that has a line about you know at the end of life or at the end of the line, all you can really do is just sort of tend your own garden. Yes. And I remember in our class that that had this. That, that was received negatively or it was interpreted negatively, like it was a disconnecting from the world and I'm just going to take care of me and mine. Right. But I think what you're doing is you're tending your garden in such a way that you're inviting others to be part of it, right? By creating these yeah. spaces. And then, you know, and again, uh, <laughs> we have a metastasizing metaphor. Um and and that allows that space to grow, the garden to grow and to flourish. And that that's not about retreating from the world. That's about like setting a table and saying, come join me at this banquet. It's powerful. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 it's very powerful. Um, yeah. I think I felt led to do a podcast. Like it wasn't like a business decision for me or like, I'm going to do this and this will help to market my personal training business and my uh, consulting and management business for spa and fitness. I I didn't care about that for that. I did it because I was literally sitting in my kitchen and I felt this may sound weird. I know, whatever. I've said a lot of weird things on here, but, and it was like, I just felt it come over. It like washed over me like a wave and it was like, you need to, you need to create a podcast. And I honored that feeling. I told my wife who was standing there, I said, I feel like I'm being led to do a podcast and to give people an opportunity to have a space to tell their story. And it may initially start out with fitness people because that's kind of what I know. 
but eventually I wanted to transform into just all different parts of life and do that. Now I've goes, well, knowing you, it'll happen because once you, this thing type of happens, type of thing happens with you, you go full bore into it, you know? So I think I just, it's, it's just what I do in my life. I like to invite people to have meaningful conversation, whatever that means. I don't know. And it's one of the only areas of my life that I don't script. You know, this is the one thing that I don't try to like grab on with everything that I have generally speaking, and control it um, more than, I mean, I can be freewheeling, but I also am a huge planner and organizer. And But you wouldn't know it from my podcast, probably, you know, like, and I just want to have that, I want to have that conversation with somebody. I want to peer deeply into their being. And I want them to let me in. I badly want them to let me in so that I could be there for them. That's primarily it, you know. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, there's a couple. There's a couple different things there. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the language of calling and purpose. I mean, are you a person of faith? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I am. It was. It felt very much like that. You know, everybody. Some people are called to many different things. I feel like whether they acknowledge that as a faith-based thing or a gut feeling or whatever. You know, I feel like it's just listening, you know, and I feel like I was being led toward it. And, and I said, this is a platform. And so I just think sometimes we turn off that feeling. We, we purposely turn it off. Like, I feel like I'm supposed to do this. And you know what? I'm not good enough or I don't, I don't have the time for this, blah, blah, blah. And you just turn it off like it's a faucet. I have developed my muscle is that I run towards those things like full steam ahead. Yeah. And that's where that driver doer thing really serves you. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Cause you're going to approach what's uncomfortable rather than avoid it. Yeah. I want to run into the fire, you know, you know, I, I mean, I obviously want to have account. I have boundaries. It's not like I just do stuff willy nilly, you know, like I certainly have boundaries, but I like dealing with broken things and uh, difficult subject matter. And, I, and, and what I learned, you know, being the GM of a, a club for over a decade was that uh, there's a lot of brokenness out there. Man, it's like a minefield of hurt and brokenness and personal myths. And uh, I always just enjoyed trying to be a good solid person for a lot of people that were going through difficult things. You know? So what does it mean to do that in a healthy way where you don't give away too much of yourself? I think that's the struggle, you know, like you help people, you know, I help people. How do you not get consumed by it? I always talk to my wife, like I go, please let me know if you feel like I'm doing too many of these, or I'm not giving you enough attention. I told her that the other day. I said, I want you to check me. And I want to make sure I'm giving you and our daughter enough time, quality time, um, and that I'm not just pouring into this all the time or my clients and stuff. And she says, oh, no, no, it's it's great. It's great. And um, you're doing totally fine. She said, but I want to support you in supporting other people and that you 
want to help with the healing process of others. So I, I want to be in line with that. And I thought that was really nice of her. Yeah. Yeah, you, again, you just really got the wheels spinning. Yeah, I want to help. With, <laughs> the wheels are spinning, Stan. Yeah, well, no, you know, you get. The, I want to help with the healing process. So there's an there's an assumption that everybody's wounded. Then, on some level, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm wounded. I'm definitely affected by things, um, in my past, and you know, I've one of the greatest things that ever happened to me was when I was in college. On my undergrad is I took a basic counseling course. It was an elective. And part of that course is you were required to have a therapist for the entire semester as part of the course. And it was awesome. I mean, I'm like 21 years old, you know, like it was really amazing. It helped open me up. I took public speaking that same semester. I learned how to speak in front of a large group of people, get over that fear. And and I had a great life growing up, a tremendously positive, rewarding, over the top, very amazing childhood. Incredibly, yeah, like you're, yeah. You're, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was like, no, dad, but you know, like your dad worked for the Pentagon, right? I think yeah. I remember hearing that somewhere. So, yeah. okay, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> decorated, highly decorated father, incredibly um, supportive and tough mother, but in a good way, toughness. Uh, very successful brother. I had it good, man. I had it really good. And uh, it's my responsibility. I feel when you've had it great in life, when you've had the advantages, you've had the the fortune to be born to wonderful people and they accelerated and ignited your passion. I feel the responsibility to help that, create create that passion and help find that for other people. Because I could have been born into garbage, you know? And, uh, but I wasn't. So the people who have been, I feel a tremendous responsibility towards them. I'm like, I need to help you. If nobody's going to help you, I will help you. Let me be that person for you. I feel that huge pull for that all the time. So, hmm. <laughs> I like Stan. You think about things. It's great, you know. Like oh, I was just yeah. telling somebody about. I don't want to hang up, dude. Thing. This is good. This no, is we're rich. Good. We're good. We're good, um, man. Yeah, you're talking about that pool, and and you know what's the what's the wayfinder for that thing? How do you know when it's pulling pulling you the right way, and when it's when it's not? Well, you say you're being pulled to like you want to work on the joy muscle. Like what's yeah. what's been the catalyst for that? Hmm. Yeah, I think one is knowing the kind of impact I want to have on the world, knowing, I mean, there's some real pragmatic parts of it. Just like, dude, I don't want to be miserable. Um, you know, again, I, mom kind of imploded in her later years. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to do that. And I've, I've got enough of her personality in me that that could easily happen if I'm not intentional in this space. Um you know, thinking about my daughters. So, and I don't remember if I told you this story or not when we were first just getting to know each other in that introductory phone call. But, um, so several years ago, my wife's in a car accident and had a brain injury where she like lost her job and she had to go through speech therapy, physical therapy, the lady that hit her didn't have insurance. 
you know, I'm working full time. We've got these two really young kids at home. And again, I don't know what I'm doing as a dad. And right. uh, I was going to do my PhD. I was doing my PhD work at the time as well. So I'm working full time. I'm going to school, trying to get this graduate degree. I'm kind of feeling like a single parent in some ways, who's also having to be a caretaker to a certain extent for my spouse. And man, I was just angry, like all the time. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's my personal faith thing, right? So, um, I'm, uh, I'm driving down the road one day and it's like the Holy spirit said, Hey, Stan, your daughters will probably marry somebody like you. Mm-hmm. Is that what you want right now? And I thought, Oh man, I pulled over the car, dude. <laughs> I couldn't, I pulled over the car and I knew a guy who was a counselor and I called right then and there. It was like, this is not how I'm going to let this play out. Yeah. What a powerful moment that you realized it, you know? Yeah. And And so there's action. Yeah. And so there's that pull I'm talking about. Um, and, and it was thankfully, and it was years after, I mean, I'm again, sitting in graduate school, uh, there's a thing called the Dallas Institute for Humanities and Culture, and they do a teacher's institute every summer. So I'm in their teacher's institute for mm-hmm. comedy and tragedy. And that's where I picked up that thing about the comic journey versus the tragic journey. And it was really about the time that I was really bugged with somebody and wanting to just like, like, I just don't want to deal with this relationship anymore. And then, then there's that realization of, and if you do that, you take the tragic path. It's like, oh, I can't do that. That's not what I want. Yeah. But you did the work. You're doing the work, you know. And I often think of, like, you you had a, a pull, and then you decided to have action with it. Unfortunately, what I see a lot is there's a pull and no action. And I think we're all pulled. No matter what you believe, what anybody believes, there's there's a pull. And it's just whether you listen. Like I always, my wife and I always get in these big conversations in, in the evening time after our daughter goes to sleep. And we talk about, I mean, everything, large cosmos and existence and all these things and faith and politics, whatever. You know, I just like talking about everything. And I always say, you know, there's, there's opportunities everywhere. There's the pull to do things. It always tugs at you, but it's, we deny these things. We are big deniers, you know, and the pull to be whatever you feel you're supposed to be, you know, in your life. I should be doing this. I should be doing this. I should be doing this. Why do you keep saying that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what, what is it about if you keep being told you're supposed to do this or you should explore this? Why do you deny it? Maybe it's social pressure. Maybe it's, you know, your parents will think differently of you. Friendships would think, dif- friends will think differently of you, you know, or you will become the person that other people won't recognize. Yeah, there's, I, I think there's a fear of loss. Yes. That keeps us from making change. Yeah. I find that with uh, spirituality a lot with people is, you know, they look at it in a sense of like, well, if I get into this, am I going to become like an unrecognizable version of myself? 
you know, like I have to stop doing all these things I like doing in my life and this and that. And I'm like, well, there may be some things, some habits you obviously you're going to want to change here and there, but it's, it's not like you will put away some things, but it's not like you're like literally like, oh man, I, you became boring now, <laughs> you know, type of thing. I mean, you're still you, you know, but I think we have these assumptions about certain things we join or we do and like this is going to change dramatically, you know, who I am as a human being and nobody will like me because of that type of thing. You know, it's these stories we tell ourselves, you know, these these personal myths you know, of mm-hmm. our lives for that. I just like exploring that with people. I, I'm not trying to change people. I just I'm like, hey, let's just talk about it, you know, like. I do think when you make space for the genuine conversation that change happens. Yeah. Like it just, it just does. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the same way the farmer throws that seed out there and, mm-hmm. you know, somehow time passes and, and admittedly there's work to tend it if you really want it to thrive, but yeah. But, I mean, you look at all those trees out. I mean, I'm in East Texas. There are trees everywhere. I'm looking at all these trees. I don't <laughs> think somebody went and they're like, okay, I'm putting the oak here and the pine here. <laughs> there yeah. was just space and it and it got it got filled with life and growth. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes people are scared to get close to that space to, to, to see what it will do to them. It may because... If you get close to something and it changes your mind about something, it may change your entire reality of how you see things. And that could be extremely jarring. You know, it's kind of like if somebody grew up and they're, let's say, they're around let's say, racist parents and stuff like that, and they believed very heavily in racism and stuff, and but they had these beliefs about, let's say, African-Americans or Hispanic-Americans, whoever, but they never spent any time around people of that ethnicity, but they just had these beliefs. But then if you spend time around somebody and those ethnicities and you find love, loving people and kindness and community, it jars your sense of self because you're like, I believe this about these people for a long time. What, why aren't they acting the way that this other person told me they're supposed to act? You know, you started flying too close. You became Icarus. You flew too close to the sun. And all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, your reality is going to change. And that's scary for people. Well, and, and it's a great illustration of what I was talking about earlier about my concern about communities that are too inward for inward facing mm-hmm. and they they have these dishonest conversations. And, and that's kind of what I mean by dishonest conversation. Like it's just not really taking reality into account. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think that in our lives, it's, I'm just interested in the people's stories. It could be very aggressive. It could be very passive. It could be gentle. It's whatever. It's just, um, I'm fascinated by how we come to be, how we become ourselves, especially as adults. You know, I don't, you look at the child, like you have kids, you know, I have a daughter and I look at this little person and I, and I'm aware of the power that I wield with this person. Like, yeah. Okay. So yeah. When, um, so my wife's family, man, they're, they are 
ideal. I mean, they really, they, they know what they're doing. And, and so many grew up in the really kind of the kind of leave it to beaver type home. And so when right. we were first married and she's ready to have kids and I'm just like, Oh my gosh. I mean, we're talking about making another human being. That's a huge responsibility you know, for me. I'm just like, wow, yeah. that, that's scary. It is scary. Yeah. And I think there are those, those moments of realization that that's the business I'm in as a dad is trying to help shape a human being. That's when I have my better, <laughs> some of my better moments. Um, and, and do, you know, I remember early on just saying, man, I just want my daughters to know what love with those strings attached feels like. And like, I, I, I'm not really sure how to do that. So, okay. You know, really processing it. And again, as a, a person of faith, I'm like, okay, how they look at their dad is going to impact how they understand God. So don't screw it up, Stan. Um, yeah. and so starting to do this thing with my, uh, in my oldest daughter at the time, she had all these kind of crazy allergies and stuff. And, uh, so like her body was just in a constant attack. And so we would, I think because of that, she was really obstinate. She butt heads with us a lot. And, you know, I'd pick her up from like kindergarten, take her home and she's kicking the back of the car seat all, or my car seat, you know, all the way. Like, I hate you. I hate my life. I hate school. I'm like, Oh, I suck as a dad. Right. So going through the midst of all that and, and looking at her one night and, and a couple, couple stories kind of mind, if that's okay. Can I? Yeah, can I just, of course. Yeah. So, um, looking at her one night and a, a guy I worked with is a, is a headmaster of a school and he would bless his sons at night. He'd give him a blessing. And I was like, that's a cool thing. So I, I said, Hey, um, you know, I love you. I bless you. I'm glad to be your dad. And I paused. I thought this is, you know, I wanted to hear this. And she looked at me and she said, I'm getting emotional. She said, and no matter what I do, you'll always love me. And I was like, yeah. Dude, she's 19 years old. I still, I still say that to her at night. I mean, she came home because of, you know, college shut down and she's home yeah. with us. And my 16 year old, my 19 year old, I, I tell him that stuff. I mean, she, you know, she would have these, um, you know, episodes or whatever, and she'd come and apologize afterwards. And, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go, well, it's about time or, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. And instead I'm like, Hey, you know, daddy, will you forgive me? And it's like, Hey, the answer is always yes. All you had to do is ask, you know, I, that's what I want her to know about love and connection, that kind of, that kind of, that kind of thing. And again, I'm screwing it up left, right, and sideways, but, um, those moments of saying, I'm in the process of shaping a human being and how do I want them to experience the universe? Okay. I'm going to do some things that are consistent with that. That was a beautiful story, by the way. I mean, it made me think about um, how my wife and I take turns putting our daughter to bed. So I'll do one day, she does another day, whole thing. And always kind of been a contentious thing. Cause my daughter is just, bedtime has been rough growing up with her. You know, it's just very allergy ridden, like you said with your daughter. Oh, 
Yeah, huge allergies. And just the whole process of getting to bed was just a struggle, you know. And I remember telling my wife a while ago, I'm like, I'm just not enjoying this. I do not like bedtime. It's like the worst time <laughs> of being a parent. It's like a reverse hostage negotiation. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like, it's just not fun. And she agreed because she felt the same way. And, you know, we implemented some new strategies and stuff. It's been a lot better. But, you know, she always wants um, me to like lay, lay in the bed with her. And, you know, I kind of sit up on the headboard and, you know, she snuggles in and kind of like, you know, that moment you had with, you know, your child, my daughter would do that. Yeah. I'm trying not to like drop names here. Right. Like, yeah, it's a whole. (laughs) And my daughter will do that. And it would just be like, it just melt your heart. And you're aware of the power that that's what I meant. You're aware of the power of the sense of that, like, hey, like I could really mess you up if I wanted to. You know, I could really be mean to you and really shape how you see the world. And But I always try to be cognizant, even when I'm really frustrated, is to try to, how am I presenting myself to her? And I always think, how is she going to remember me? Oh, yeah. Throughout oh, the years. Oh, gosh. You know. So, okay, here's something for you to look forward to. So I, so I drop off our oldest at college mm-hmm. and I'm driving back home with my wife and our 16 year old or 15 year old at the time. And, you know, my wife's really been emotional probably three or four months previous to this, right. About our, our baby girl and her graduation, all this stuff. And I've been pretty stoic about it. And I just know as I'm driving down the highway back to Texas, it's like, there's this emptiness in my chest all of a sudden. Mm. And I, uh, that, that night I, I looked at, and my wife and I said, was I a good dad? And I just started to weep. Mm. Wow. Wow. We think the same things. <laughs> I think, you know, that's, a, um, well, I mean, that's a very powerful question. And then ask that of your spouse. That's, that's really something I can't, you know, you're in that space. I can't even imagine to getting into, I've thought about that time in life. You know, you've experienced it, man. You know? Well, and okay. I want to hijack the conversation for just a minute. Um, Please. One, I want to tell you, dude, as you're talking about it being a struggle, like it can get so much better. I, the people talk about the teenage years being rough. They have been the best for us. I love that. Love hearing that. Dude, I am like the family dog. Okay. I mean, my girls just kind of pat me on the head. Yeah. You know, daddy, how you doing? I mean, it is just the best. Um, but I'm also thinking about so uh my my oldest almost slipped. My oldest, when she was like three, she she'd have me put her to bed at night. And she would want me to like make up a story for her. And I'm kind of into storytelling. So I mean, it's kind of one of the things I like to do. So okay. um, that's my dissertation was on uh, storytelling as a leadership tool. So I kind of, I kind of like that world. And so she would want me to like make up a brand new story out of the box every night. In other words, no repeats, create it from scratch. And that was fun for a week, right? <laughs> 
And then it's just like, oh no, I gotta, what am I going to talk about? It's like, and, and again, yeah, well, and I'm a, I mean, I was a single child boy. All I know is Legos and Star Wars action figures. And so to try to figure out what is it that, that she's going to like is, so I was like, okay, I know she likes butterflies and tea parties. So I'm going to tell stories about butterflies and tea parties. So I'm telling the story and there are butterflies and I'm at a tea party and everybody's having a good time. And, and she's laying beside me. We're, we're laying down in bed and she reaches over. She like grabs my chest and she says, no, daddy, make something bad happen. <laughs> okay. So here's where we're going to turn the corner on some of our conversation. She instinctively knows that if there's no conflict, there's no story. Hmm. Like butterflies just sitting around having a tea party. That gets boring real quick. Right. A tree falls on one of them. Right. <laughs> story. Now you got a story. The, the inciting incident, as they would say. <laughs> I just thought it was cool that even as a little kid, she kind of had that instinctive sense of, no, like, some, something's got to happen. Something's got to break. There's got to be a challenge here. Or th- th- this is nothing. That's interesting. And so, yeah, and, I, and so as you talk about brokenness and stuff, I mean, I know there's all these philosophical conversations about human beings and what does it mean if you look at them as being broken or whatever, but... But I do, but I think at minimum, a, a, a muthos that says, you know, our lives really are stories. And in a story, conflict is inevitable. That's what makes the character grow. Hmm. It's not just the universe picking on me or God picking on me. And it's easy for me to say that now because 30 minutes from now, I, you know, something may happen and I'm going to shake my fist at heaven. But I, you know, I have to keep coming back to that to just remember that's what the human experience really is. It's this story. And I'm going to try to choose community in the middle of those conflicts, hoping that that's going to reorient me in the right direction. That's amazing. You know, what it makes me think of is uh, I had this guy on uh, Raj Shankara. This was a while ago on the podcast. His episode is very good. Um, and he was a former monk for like 12 years in a monastery in Hawaii. And uh, I mean, amazing story. And I said, what did you learn being in a monastery for 12 years? Like, what was the big overarching theme of it? So he takes a little second, he pauses for a little bit. And he goes, that suffering is part of the equation. It's not the absence of it. That suffering is necessary on some level. Uh, to grow in this life. I thought that was interesting that a monk said that. And I don't know what my preconceived notions of that was, but it was just like, the more I've lived, the older I get, the more I hear that. And that the conflict, suffering, however it is put together, that you know, the, these things have to happen on some level to be propelled forward. It's, it's like when I have an argument with my wife, I always tell her, I don't think she likes when I do this, but I've told, I'm not saying anything I haven't told her, but, but we get into a little hey thing. Hey man, it's just the two of us. Like no, one's, just two, no one else talking. is, yeah. I know. And I say, you know what, this conflict is good because it causes change, causes us to change and grow. And we kind of like, you know, the ball gets moving on some level that we needed it to move. And I think initially she was like, whatever. Uh, but uh, over time, I think it's, we've really both 
taken that mindset like, okay, we're having a disagreement here. We recognize we're in this conflict. Where is this taking us? How do we propel mm-hmm. ourselves forward for that? And it's a very adult, sophisticated way of arguing. Like, you yeah. know, like you're aware of it. Like you talk about the fact that you're in the conflict. We will say that we are having a conflict right now. We are aware of this. How do we use this? How do we use this to move forward on this issue or something else? How do we learn from this versus just emotional conflict and saying things you would not want to say to another person you care about and not, and having the radar just be all over the place. The compass is flying around in a circle with no direction, you know? So I think I don't shy away. That's kind of my whole philosophy is I don't shy away from conflict or difficult conversations or difficult people. I, I step right up to them and, uh, but I'm not confrontational with them. I just, I'm just willing to be in the arena and try to showcase uh, a respectful, loving way of having a conversation. Even if I don't agree with what they're saying, I could still be very kind during that conversation. Yeah, respect costs. Well, it does have a cost, but in a lot of ways, respect doesn't really cost us anything but our time and attention, right? Yeah. Even if you disagree. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I like that that idea of where is this conversation taking us? Is this taking us to a good place or a place that we don't want to go? And so, the, in 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 our home in the Ward House, uh, our little our phrase is because I plan to spend the rest of my life with you. I need to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to frame this and let you, so that it's not a threat. This is not about safety and security. We're still together, but man, I got to communicate. Yeah. I like that. That's interesting. Kind of setting the stage, you know, here's the parameters of it. Yeah. And then I just get the giggles when, when my wife will start a sentence that way. Cause I know it's coming. You're like, oh, that's the uh, key phrase. I did, I, yep, here we go. Okay. <laughs> what did I do? What, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and and she's not and she's not mean. She's not going to whip that out unless she's right. Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's like I'm going to hold this mirror up to you because I love you. Yeah. Oh, that's what's going on. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's kind of being checked. You know, like I was just telling my wife the other day, I'm like, I like that ever since, you know, we're going on 16 years of marriage this summer. And I said, I like that you would check me from day one. Like you are not afraid to tell me about things I need to do better and say, Hey, this is what you need to work on. And I do the same thing, but you know, we're, I think initially, I think it was a little more aggressive, but as we've gotten older and we've worked on a lot of things about ourselves, it's certainly a very sophisticated version of that. Like, if you saw us arguing now, you'd be like, what's going on here? Like, this seems like some weird, you know, therapy talk. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, <laughs> but I was just thinking, it's like some weird group therapy thing. Yeah. You, hey, dude. Okay. So there have been times when I've gotten out the flip chart and had family meetings. And I'm like, oh, all right. Okay. We're, <laughs> we're <laughs> the gonna, flip chart stand. Well, I get out the flip chart. I'll ask, <laughs> I'll ask the girls. All right. What, what color sharpie you want dad to use on this one? Because we got to knock this out. <laughs> We're going to talk. And then they're, and they're like, oh, dad, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm just going to set the timer for 15 minutes. We're going to get as far as we can in 15 minutes and then I'll stop. Wow. That's awesome, man. You got a real way about yourself, Stan. I like your vibe. 
like just how you approach things. It's interesting. Like I said, I, I am shocked that you would want to have a script on something like this. Like you're very easily, you easily discuss things. You weave in and out of things very uh, thought with a real sense of thoughtfulness and an ease of how you communicate and how you explain yourself. It's uh, it's a tale of two things to me. Mm. You know? Can you put that on my LinkedIn bio? I like that. That's. Uh... I, could, I mean, you know, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me and I'll do it, man. Yeah, it's a, Stan this, wants is a net, script, this is a networking event. It's a networking yeah, event all of a sudden. He doesn't need the script, but he may prefer it, but he's fine without it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. type of thing. I mean, it's been a genuinely thought-provoking, um, beautiful time, honestly. Yeah. I've enjoyed spending time with you, Stan. And I, Darian, you as well, dude. Like, I, there is joy. I'm, I'm experiencing that joy muscle, and it's and there's a little bit of melancholy because I sense, I sense what's coming. That, you know, uh, I'm going to frame it, Stan. Yeah. We're going to be talking soon in the future, <laughs> but right now we got to stop. That's right. <laughs> be, be, because we've been going on for quite uh, a while. Yeah. Quite a hey. while. Yeah, it was rich, man. Thanks. Yes. Very rich. Thank you so much for your time. And by the way, the ukulele thing, song with your daughters, one of your daughters, right? Yeah, two of them. So of they them. just sound very similar. So each of them got to have a verse. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. And uh, you too, right? That was you too. That was right. That's right. Yeah, I, man, one of my favorite bands of all time. And um, I still haven't found one. Of, man, I got chills listening to that. So mm. as you're listening to this, if you skip the beginning, don't skip the beginning. Because that's going to be the intro, is that song. I think it was so well done, amazingly well put together. And Stan, he met the challenge. I told him we wanted something a little unique to add into there. And boom, that's what it produced. Amazing. So thank you for that. Well, thank my daughters. They're the ones yeah. doing most of the singing. Because, uh, yeah, we also did Let It Be, but it was lame because it was mostly me singing <laughs> and them harmonizing. It was like, ah, it was, it was, it was a weak sauce. Lame. It's weak sauce. It's weak sauce. I'm trying to be all. I'm trying to be all. You know, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling the COVID, and I want the people to feel. Hey, just let it be. Weak sauce. You know, I have somebody else singing "Let It Be" for one of their. uh, It's weird that you said that, but there's a lady who's singing that for her intro for the podcast in like a couple weeks. So so I need that gold. I need another. I need another gem, Dan. All right, I'll see (laughs) you on. Hey, I'll talk to the girls. They're you know they humor me. I'm the family pet, so we'll see what we can come up with. All right, man. That sounds good. Well, thank you for your time, Stan. I appreciate you, man. And yours. And yeah, appreciate you too, dude. And let's, man, let's stay in touch. So Definitely agree with that, man. Have a good rest of your day. Do the same. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. The Health Profession Scholarship Program from the U.S. Army Healthcare Team can offer full tuition for med students. That's the Army difference. Learn more at GoArmy.com slash tuition paid. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. 
after your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. 